I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. I'm grand. How are you? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The weekend has flown by. Yep, sure has. My company holiday party was last night. Mm Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, my sister and her husband paid us a surprise visit from Mm -hmm. out of town. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was lovely, but of course that pushed everything mm-hmm. to this afternoon. So I feel like there's so much to do with so little time. Discombobulation. Moving on, uh, Sundance is happening. Yeah, well, yeah, they uh, they announced their lineup. Oh, they allow. Oh, <laughs> yes, of course it's happening. Uh, yeah, but uh, I. Am, oh, it happens in January. Yes, and we're only in December. Okay. Yeah, and I am covering it virtually. That's it. No, I, I was going to talk about well, I did some of the selections that were announced because it's a big deal. Oh well, you might as well do it now and oh. don't spill that coffee. <laughs> Go ahead. Um. Well, obviously, I'm most excited that uh, Sigourney Weaver has a new film that is premiering there called Jane, uh, which also stars a woman you may know named Beth Banks. I know that person? Elizabeth Banks. Oh. Okay. Someone just woke up from a nap. Uh, And, uh, yes, that is directed by Phyllis Nagy. She's the screenwriter for Carol uh, with... That Todd uh, Haynes directed with Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Uh, so technically, this is her debut, I believe. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. And interestingly, there is a documentary about the same subject matter that's playing at the festival called The Janes, uh, which I also plan on seeing, but about this underground group of women in the 60s who were uh, uh, a, a network of women helping uh, others get abortions. Interesting. Uh, there's a film called Alice. I mean, I've just 82 titles were announced. I've just been hardly been able to kind of scan what's playing. But something called Alice piqued my interest by Krista Vanderlinden, starring Kiki Palmer, uh, and it's about uh, a young woman who's on a plantation in 1800s Georgia, only to discover one day it's actually 1973, which oh. you know, very antebellum uh, slash. I I keep forgetting to look up more on that news story about. Something similar just happened in South Georgia Oh, that I had brought up to you the other night, but That's right. we didn't research. No. Anyhow, uh, that piqued my interest. Also, uh, Emily the Criminal, starring Aubrey Plaza. Uh, Oliver Hermanis, a South African director I like, uh, he has a film playing there called Living, which is a remake of Kurosawa's Ak- Akiru, uh, which I've seen in that that that's on Criterion. Uh, and the screenwriter is Kazuo uh, Ishiguro, uh, who wrote Remains of the Day. Uh, oh, and then Hawk for Jesus, uh, Save Your Soul, starring Regina Hall, also sounds interesting to me. Okay. Is that all? Sure, this off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, Juicy Smollier. Oh, yeah, that happened this week. He was found guilty of five of the six charges. Yeah. Which basically uh, amounts to him lying about being the victim of a hate crime. Yeah. Uh, to follow our uh, his sentencing, but also the city of Chicago is suing him for I believe like a hundred thirty thousand dollars for yeah. the money and re- you know the resources he wasted from lying. I don't know what to say about 
this. Well, I remember uh, we had very vehement thoughts around the time this was all going down. Uh, which, what, what year was that even? Is that 2018? 20... Before the pan- pandemic, as Nicole Dyer would say. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my immediate thoughts, I haven't really thought about this, except the, the instant I heard about it, I thought this sounded made up. Well, I remember reading the headlines, thinking, feeling uh, a certain way, uh, but I didn't start realizing that it sounded made up until the details started emerging. And now- well, that's, I think, when I... So, well, yes, immediately when we heard, like, oh, actor Ju- Juicy Smollier was the victim or assaulted, and it may be a hate crime, of course I didn't um, doubt it initially, but when the details came out of... The bleach and the, you know, the white guys with the Make America Great Again hat and the... The noose and the... The noose and Subway them, at 2 a.m. Right, and them uh, using uh, homophobic language. P- putting it all together just felt just, like, unreasonable. Like, unreasonable. Like, this seems off. But, yeah, this fool was lying, obviously, as a way to get attention, which... It's just so fucked up because, I mean, there's so there are so many reasons, but I think when people lie about things like this, well, when people cry wolf, it makes it more difficult for people who are actually victimized to feel like they can come out and speak because they feel like they won't be believed. So that's the worst part of this. And then all the resources this person wastes. And then I just, I'm so frustrated that if you're going to do this shit, why... Why bring in, like, Trump and... Because that just gives people ammunition, right? Because then now conservative people are pointing at Biden and Kamala Harris and how they, like, sort of blindly gave their support. Although Donald Trump had also said the attack was awful. So, I mean, everyone everyone jumped the well, gun. But but you're supposed to, right? If someone says they've been a victim, you're supposed to believe them. Well, yeah, I think... it. But then, of course, as things... Yeah. yeah. Right. So I don't know what to say. I don't. I well, don't know what his money's like, but I'm assuming he's. Uh, you well, know, it's just embarrassing for him. You know, in his his family, his siblings who are actors and in the industry. You know, all those people that came out in support, like Lee Daniels. You know, I'm sure I'll feel some some kind of way. I just think that you know maybe he needs to go away for a year or two or more, and when he comes back. Be I'd like to hear the thought process about why this happened. Ugh, uh, you know, I I can't imagine him ever saying like, "Yeah, I'm a bull faced liar." Uh, well, everybody makes mistakes and everybody does dumb things, but so you know, because I think, and you know, I feel stupid not being super well informed about this case and then talking about it publicly, but the <laughs> but. Uh, from what I understood, didn't he try to spin this a little and say that, yes, those two guys... Because the other thing is he said these were white guys. Yeah. And then really it's two black African men. Yeah. Who couldn't be less white. So it's like, how the fuck did you confuse these two with <laughs> two white guys? But um, that maybe there was like some retaliation on their part, like trying to trying to explain that... It, like in fact it was those two but that their relationship was not good or I even if that's the case it just is so out of control because it's such a leap like yeah anyway yeah, I, yeah I, but I, I still would be curious who why did you think this was a good idea it just doesn't 
Well, it's like Munchausen's or, I mean, it's just anything where like people do things like this all the time, just not to this degree. And I think to allow it to get so out of control, if it were me and I was like trying to get attention because I knew that, you know, my show empire is coming to an end and I don't have anything lined up. So I need to get my name back out there. If if I had the thought to do something like this, I certainly... So if I had two friends, like, help me stage me getting fucked up, I'm certainly not going to make it about being a hate crime. And I will certainly, like, you know, maybe I wouldn't even file police charges. I would just let it get in the news, you know? And then there's a... I, I don't know. It just seems like you took it way too well, far. Well, see, that's like, what makes me think... I, I want to believe that... The rationale was not to stay relevant because his show is ending, but out of probably anger and whatever else because of th- things in, going on in the, the U.S. Oh, right? absolutely not. You don't think? Oh, absolutely oh. not. I, 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 I think that's very kind of you to try to give well, him no, some integrity. No, because, well, think of it, because uh, when we, we just, I just rewatched Benedetta, but we had watched that this week, and the Charlotte Rampling's daughter in that movie, who basically tells a bold-faced lie, saying she saw something she didn't, because she knows this lie would be helpful. <laughs> right, no, I, I think it's very clear. This man is was on a show that was immensely popular, and... It was starting to like clear, clearly come to an end. He had released some music that obviously didn't pop. Like he wasn't getting a lot of bigger offers outside of the show. I mean, it, it just seems like it makes perfect sense that he would orchestrate this thing to Which, get his name out there to build sympathy to hopefully garner him into a new chapter of his career. And that shit just backfired so hard. Which is why it's, it'd be nice if he could ever get to a place to be open and honest about what really went down or his rationale. Because that will be the, the story is to think that he's trying, he was pulling a stunt for these superficial reasons. And not that I think it's, there's anything really honorable in what he did but it's, I want to believe that there's something in there that made some kind of sense that I can empathize with. There won't be. It was a publicity stunt that, it was like Janet getting her titty pulled out. It was just a stupid, stupid thing. And the fact that she just didn't say what it was affected her career. I mean, for damn near, I mean, it, it, it's never recovered. Although that's hard to say because what aging pop star ever, you know, like you never go back to your, your peak, but, um, or, you know, she might be like Cher and in 10 years have a number one album again. But I mean, if Janet puts out another album, it will certainly be number one, but you know, to have a big hit anyway, I think Ju- Juicy to, to me just made a stupid mistake like that. Yeah. Except that he made it about something more than just his titty, you know, like, <laughs> yes. like, like indecency, like he really is lying on a group of people and provided people with, I mean, like the ripple effect, the ripple effects did, were substantial. He, yeah. he needs to just, yeah, he's gonna have to go away for a while. Well, I don't want to see him like kill himself in a corner somewhere, but no, but like it's queer people or trans people that have to hear these kind of stories that are actually ha- that have an awareness of this, this kind of violence that actually happens you know the the gut response you know at least for me when i hear these things is it's distressing but i feel bad i mean we all make mistakes and i've done things that were illegal and you know like looking back could have totally been in super big trouble and at the time i wasn't thinking right i, I was just thinking i need to 
do something or get out of a situation or I want to have this thing. And so again, I think this fool made a terrible mistake and he's going to pay for it with his career, his finances. He's going to have to lay low and hopefully his family can just help him stay undercover for a long time. Well, you know, there, he should be allowed the chance to atone. Yeah. You know what I can, because he is very talented. I can see him in maybe like a few years Maybe having like some tiny role in some indie film, like Prometheus. No, I'm thinking, no, no, some tiny role in some film, but it's like he does an amazing job, and then because people do forget, yeah, because everyone's trash anyway. Look so, at Mel Gibson. Yeah, everyone's trash, so it's like you know, it, people are judgy initially, and then it's like they have amnesia, I guess. But so he will be able to come back. It's just. I mean, look at a uh, fucking what's her name who stole all that shit from Barney's? Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. Isn't it Tiffany's? Oh, no, well, Tiffany's is a jewelry store. No, it was a clothing store. Oh, I think it was. No, what's that one on? Um, Saks. Saks. I think it was Saks. Yes, it is Saks. It's okay. on uh, La Cienega. Yeah, uh, San Vicente, I think. But anyway, yeah, look at how embarrassing that was for her, and then. It's become it did, kind of... It did affect her career. It did, but she's been... You but know. she's... Yeah. So, he's talented. He'll he'll get back. His family's talented. Hopefully, they can help his ass. Anyway, moving on to people doing stupid shit, apparently. I was reading that, you know, West Side Story, the Spielberg remake, mm-hmm. like, effectively tanked at the box office. Yeah. So, then trying to... I was reading this opinion piece about, like, compared to Dear Evan Hansen or In the Heights, like how it performed and mm-hmm. but so then i was reading that people think it didn't perform because of the controversy around ansel elgort which i didn't know there's there a was. controversy around him oh, Jesus. yes right after the movie was like done filming a bunch of like people accused him of sexual assault oh i didn't even know that okay yeah apparently with underage girls but at the time he was 20 and these girls were anywhere from 15 to 17 oh so he's doing some jimmy franco stuff yeah, because it was like on Twitter and sent, like he, mm. I guess he's like a DJ. So again, I'm talking about shit I'm not fully informed on. Oh, but, wow. Okay. <laughs> but apparently he's like a DJ and from his like alternate Twitter account was like DMing these underage girls and allegedly sending them like dick pics and requesting inappropriate pics. And apparently there are photos of him with these girls. So he actually did meet them. But, um, mm. you know, obviously he's not in jail. So. Wow, I had no idea. Okay. But that's the extent of what I understand. But people are saying that that's why the movie tanked. I always find it funny that like people need to find a reason. Like maybe people just don't give a shit about West Side Story. Like, you know, it's it's like it's not a given that just because Steven Spielberg releases this iconic remake or a remake of an iconic story that if it's not a hit, there must be something wrong. Like there must be something specific because it can't be that we just miss um like measured people's interest so i think it's funny that there always has to be a reason when it's like maybe people just don't give a shit like all y'all old ass is you know it's a bunch of old ass white men deciding what gets put out there into the like right mm-hmm. it's like maybe y'all are wrong maybe no one gives a shit about this you know some old queens who executives or whatever studio released this shit thought that everyone was gonna gag over it and and you know they do these things they plan these things out what, two years ago, I'm sure, more than that, that it was decided they were going to make this movie. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like shit changed. People don't give a damn. Like I don't, I don't know. I that's probably what's more interesting to me than these allegations against Ansel Elgort is just like Steven Spielberg releases a movie that isn't a hit, and there must be. It can't just be that no one's checking for this man and his movie. It has to be something else. Yeah, I just don't know that there's a there is a level. Uh, there's a it's kind of a niche. I think of, of people interested in West Side Story, and be- then of course you know not having any really major stars because then the Heights performed better. It's opening weekend, and obviously had but that, a lower... But that faced backlash, too. Right, and then Dear Evan Hansen, they were saying, like, oh, it was skewered by critics, and that might be why. And it's just like, I don't know, other shit gets skewered, and it's a box office it gold, matter. right? I, so it doesn't really matter. I just think, it's like the lottery. It's just interesting. It's about what piques public interest. But that's everything. Like, where I work, where other people work, like, you have these executives in charge of things, and they... Based off of market research and all this shit, you know, they make informed decisions on what they think will work. But at the end of the day, just anything can happen, right? A movie gets released on a weekend where something else happens and that could totally cause it to lose all of its momentum. And it's risky business. Yeah, of course. You know, making the, especially these big budget movies. But anyway, so... Jimmy Kimmel does something called Live in Front of a Studio Audience. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware that this was a thing. I'm assuming this is the first... He said this... Uh, I think when you put this on, he said it's the third time they've done this? That's what he said, but then I was looking for what were the other two. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, we watched Live in Front of a Studio Audience for Facts of Life and Different Strokes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was super entertaining. Yeah, I was surprised at how uh, sweet it was. Norman Lear, who is 99 years old. Dropped the F-bomb. He did drop the F-bomb, like, at the top of the show. <laughs> you should know better, Norman. But <laughs> but he, I mean, that man is kicking. And mm-hmm. to think of, like, his impact on entertainment and the shows he created, like, in the 70s, featuring storylines that, you know, it's, it's so easy to look back and be like, oh, this is problematic, and this character and that character. But you have to look at it from the lens of when that shit came out. And to think, like... You know, Archie Bunker talking about queer characters mm-hmm. and good times having these black characters. You know, people criticize the buffoonery of a show like that. But then you think, like, this was like an all-black cast showing mm-hmm. their struggles mm-hmm. and still finding joy. And being on televisions in America. And, yeah. and, and letting white audiences see. And I, I, I think it did. And then for black people, seeing black people on TV... It had a lot of value, so what an impressive career. But anyway, yeah. There's a documentary about him a few years ago I never saw. Yeah, but Facts of Life and Different Strokes were shows I enjoyed as a kid, particularly Different Strokes. Um, At the time, I wasn't familiar with who Janet Jackson was, so I can't say that I watched it because of her. But, of course, Janet Jackson is on, like, the two final seasons of the show. Mm -hmm. She played Willis's girlfriend, Charlene, Charmaine, Charlene. Charlie, but yeah, Jennifer Aniston's in the. Mm-hmm. So Ke- who's in it? Kevin Hart, Jennifer Aniston, Catherine Hahn, Catherine Hahn, Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, uh, Ann Dowd, Ann Dowd, who played uh, Mrs. Uh, Garrett uh, for both shows. She was really good. Yeah, she was probably the best. And I also think oh, Snoop Dogg is in it. Snoop Dogg, Damon yeah. Wayans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
it's really fun watching people. You know, whatever you think about these actors, they are experienced, mm-hmm. right? Like these these are legit entertainers who act for a living, and it's really fun to watch people do their craft because mm-hmm. they are talented. Like to get up on a stage in front of a live studio audience and memorize lines and do it the way they did it so smoothly, mm-hmm. it is really impressive. Yeah. And for as much as I don't give a shit about Jennifer Aniston, I feel about Jennifer Aniston like how I feel about like if a crouton had no seasoning on it. Like, Oh my God. You know, I'm sure it serves a purpose for someone. But even with that, I thought it was fun watching her. Like, this lady can act. Like, yeah, of course. She knows where to look and how to say her lines, and that can't be easy. Uh, the person she's playing, because uh, I did not watch the play. Oh, that, that was before yes. I was born, but... Yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with the shows and the theme songs, of course. But uh, what's her name? She played Blair Warner, who's like the supposed to be like the bougie character on the show, uh, Lisa Welchel. But Lisa Welchel, Kim Fields, and Mindy Cohn were like present to sort of present yeah. facts of life. And Lisa Welchel, wow, that lady looks amazing. Yeah, she looks the same as she did on the damn show. Look better than Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> well, she, yeah, looked great, healthy, beautiful. I mean, yeah, good for her. And, you know, Kim Fields. She looked good, I thought too. Yeah, Kim Fields looks great. And then, uh, Min, you know, Mindy Cohen, it was nice to see them yes. all. And then for different strokes, uh, oh my God, how did I, Todd, what's the guy from Different Strokes' name? Gary Coleman? No, he's dead. The one who plays Willis, Todd Bridges. Todd Bridges presented different strokes. Oh, yes, yeah. So that was nice to see him. And, you know, everyone else is gone, right? Like mm-hmm. Gary Coleman, uh, Mr. Drum- Phil Drummond, Conrad Bain, Dana Plato, of course, um, Edna Ray. Uh, they're all gone, so he's the last one. I, I didn't expect to see Janet on the thing, but... No. <laughs> I thought John Lithgow and Kevin Hart were super oh, cute. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Hart sits on because Kevin Hart plays Gary Coleman. He's mm-hmm. so little. He is Kevin so Hart, but sitting on John Lithgow's lap, and they're just doing it. I thought that was super sweet. It was, and you know, Snoop Dogg is Snoop's funny. I hope Snoop gets his credit when he's long gone because he's such a in the realm of entertainment. I mean, that man went from like murder was the case that they gave me mm-hmm. literally. Like right. the school has char- murder charges he had to fight. To doing like shows and with like Martha Stewart commercials with Martha Stewart and everything, literally everything in between, a gospel album, mm-hmm. uh, obviously but, gangster rap, but also everybody <laughs> likes him and everyone fucking likes Snoop. <laughs> and this fool lives in Rancho Cucamonga, mm-hmm. is it or the Chino Hills? And well, he lives somewhere random, like a suburb of L.A. He likes to post on Instagram. <laughs> and he likes to post a lot, and he's funny, and he seems very like. I I wouldn't know. I don't. I don't know that he's would be considered progressive, but he seems like he just gets along with everyone. I think so. He's done records with like flamboyantly gay. Uh, he's he's uh, uh, recorded with Robin. Yeah, like he... <laughs> Katy Perry. It, it seems like you can put him with anyone and he just is chilling. Yeah. And I think that's a really, that's a really great symbol of like how people can grow and be... I want to believe that he's like a very tolerant, accepting person and he's yeah. just chill. And it's probably all the damn marijuana. But anyway, you wrote down Queen of the North. I'm assuming that's, uh, you want to talk about Brooklyn Heights song? Yeah. So Canada's Drag Race season two, episode nine. Well, I assume we would because we were talking about that. Yeah. So. so it was the reunion episode. But before we get into that, one of the judges, Brooklyn Heights, has a song and we were hanging out and 
I, I don't know why we even watched the video. I think we were... Uh, we were watching it with a friend. Mm-hmm. And then we started playing Drag Race Queen songs. Yes. Uh, we played like some Evie Oddly videos. Kennedy Davenport oh, Kennedy. has a song. I don't even want to make fun of it. I it, feel so bad for her. She's misguided. <laughs> Whoever told her to record that track. Which is sad because she does have a voice. She does have a well, better all, voice. Yeah. What does RuPaul say? If you can talk, you can sing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, but anyway, then we made our way to Brooklyn Heights has a song called Queen of the North. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you liked it? I did. Upon The video is, I think, especially... For a drag race. For comparables. Yeah, uh, yeah, for, yeah c- compared to the comps, <laughs> as our real estate agent would say. Uh, yeah, it's impressive. Although, I don't really get the point of the song, or who is the queer, queen of the North. and um, Because the song features Priyanka, who is the winner of season one of Canada's Drag Race. And she calls herself the Queen of the North. So yeah, it was a little confusing and why... Because I feel like if this song had been presented on RuPaul's American Drag Race, she would have been read to filth for What's Your Song About? You Sound Just Like a, a Vapid Look Queen. Okay, first off, I really like the track. The track is good. And I like yeah. the chorus because it's not Brooklyn. It's like some ladies doing kind of like operatic yeah, yeah, yeah. melodies. And then the video, like you said, I think is pretty... Imp- the, the visuals are really cool for uh, what it is. But yeah, I would think if you have Brooklyn Heights and Priyanka singing about Queen, rapping, talk rapping about Queen of the North, Which, and they both it would have, be like a battle track. Like yeah, they're yeah, dissing yeah. each yes. other or something. And they both have a flow. I think Brooklyn starts out kind of strong in that track and then it kind of... Well, because she has nothing to say. She has not, yeah, it's like, what are you saying? So you, you make people go loony when you dance on stage? Okay. She uh, looks great though. Yeah, I will. I'm, as much as I don't care for her, I can't pretend she doesn't look fantastic. Yes, of course, but it just it, it's it's kind of like oh, I want to enjoy this song, but it does have a lot of dumb things about it. And I really I thought it was funny that in the second half of the track, there's a, they're sampling the sugar dance of the sugar plum fairies, oh. <laughs> and uh, it ends with a nice Vincent Price in Thriller laugh. Yeah, and the video has like. Four different sort of motifs that don't go together. Again, I think it looks cool. And actually, I'll probably add this song to my um, playlist. Well, yeah, because they did. It's it's like Ice Queen, maybe a, a Circle of Hell, and then some Marie Antoinette shit. And it's like, why aren't there and, any... and and some Walking Dead zombies? Yeah, shit. like why why didn't we have something about you know other famous queens or I don't know. whatever? I mean, I enjoy the song, but anyway, getting to Canada's Drag Race: The Reunion. Um, uh, the, okay, so, you know, they get all the queens back to talk and it was kind of like, whatever. I don't have much to say about any of these. The only thing I have to say about this episode is they have the top four. So Isis Couture, Kendall Gender, Geometric, and Pythia. Mm-hmm. And they say like, oh... Because Brad Goreski is moderating like, moderating this reunion, and he says, "Oh well, here's the gag: only three of you are going to move on, so someone has to leave this episode." And they decide to do something I thought was so boring. They make them, they they do like a bracket of lip syncs, so they make each queen lip sync, and then the winner 
So they make two and two lip sync, and then the winner of those two lip sync, and then the two who lost the first time lip sync, and then those two lip sync to see who's going to go home or who's going to stay. Like a tournament. Ugh, I thought that was... So we had to sit through three lip syncs back to back to RuPaul's songs, Mm -hmm. which, you know, at least they were three of the better ones, I guess, but I didn't need all that. I didn't need all, all that. And Geometric gets sent home, which is fine. I don't care for her. No, but it's strange because technically I thought she did better in at least one of those oh, lip syncs. And another highlight was I think one of our or one one of our favorites for the two of us, um, Cynthia Kiss looked, looked stunning, amazing. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, she looked amazing. Yeah, that lady should have been top three. She should have been top three. And then it, you know, I was getting reminded of Suki Doll and, and then Suki like, Doll, you like know. oh Canada. And then seeing Beth like. I know I had commented on a different podcast. Like Beth is just one of those like reality, like competition reality show contestants who just don't know how to present themselves in a way that doesn't make them unlikable. You're right. Like you're not even like a good villain. You're just unlikable. Poor thing. Moving on. So we were excited, or I was at least, about Queens of the Universe. I and You were then, very excited. I was very excited about it, and then I, I did enjoy episodes one and two, although I thought it was really corny and overproduced. Yeah. So, I, but I was still happy to watch episode three, which was titled Turn Back Time. That shit was whack. Yeah. It was whack. Mm-hmm. Um, Queen of the Universe. I got so tired of hearing that. So the second episode, they there were 14 queens, and they eliminate six of them. <laughs> And then for episode three, the one we watched yesterday, they bring back a queen, Lavoie, who I've seen on the Atlantis cruise ships a number of times. Which that, the ending of episode two was so stupid. So, so stupid. Because it's like, we're, we're going to do something crazy and bring someone back. So episode two, they eliminate six queens. Episode three, they bring back one. And then the bottom three queens for episode three. Which are determined by the audience. Okay, let's talk about that in a second. But the bottom three queens... Right as they're about to announce who's going home, they say to be continued. Ugh, that was so annoying. For what? The top of the next episode? The judging panel is also... Well, first of all, let's uh, talk about the audience voting. Because that audience is not that big. Right. There are maybe like 50 people in there. Right. And it's like, what qualifies them? You know how mad I'd be mm-hmm. if this was my shot at $250,000. This shit's rigor morris. Yeah, yeah it is rigor morris. Like... <laughs> And, uh, then, and then you have an audience filled with like Luhus, Yuhus, whatever. Plebeians. Yeah, voting me off. Well, especially because one of the worst performances was not in the bottom three. Okay, let's talk. Okay, so the the so now it's for episode three. There are nine people. So Arya B. Cassadine does "You Make Me Feel" by Sylvester. I thought she looked fantastic. She sounded just like Sylvester. I agree. I thought that was a highlight. Um, Leona Winter. Ugh, sings the winner. That's the French one. A truncated version of. She the sings the song. winner takes it all by ABBA, and that shit was crunchy. Yep. She ended up in the bottom three. Then Regina Vo, Vo, Voss Vos sings Unbreak Voce. My Heart. Voce, sorry, <laughs> sings Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton. Not good. No, because she was. You know, Tony Braxton has a deep voice, so she tried to sing it deep. Mm-hmm. But then when she tried to go, I don't know. That was crunchy. Uh, Greg Queen sang Dream a Little Dream of Me. I thought that was fantastic. That was pretty good. That was fantastic. Well, I listened to I, that Mama Cast track I listened to a lot anyway. Matante Alex, uh, the one who yodeled in episode two or whatever, she sang Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. 
That was crunchy. That was bad karaoke. Because they even said when her last performance, like, your yodeling is, like, out of this world. We hope you can do more. And she even says, like, I want to do more. And then she starts 9 to 5 yodeling. yodeling. That shit was so crunchy. She was in the bottom three. Then Rani Kohinoor. I hope I say that correct. She's Indian. Mm -hmm. She sings My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Very impressive. And that was really impressive. Ada Vox. She's the one that has, like, uh like a congenital condition mm. that caused her like vo vocal cords to be affected so she has a very high voice she did i put a spell on you i thought that was excellent she i think is the best yeah I and think. she looks great i yeah. thought she was like ursula the sea witch yeah which i loved <laughs> um i was so dis my the most disappointing of the night was ginge zilla who i really liked he has a very masculine voice mm -hmm. which i don't normally care for but the first time we heard him sing in the last episode, um, I thought he sounded so good. And then this fool comes out looking crazy, <laughs> singing Believe by Cher. Which you know was my jam in 1998. Right, and he did not do it justice at all. So he, uh, But somehow he ended up being safe. Mm -hmm. And then Lavoie, the queen who was able to return, she does Car Wash. Which was okay. By the... By, I think it's Ro Rose Royce. Is that the name of the band? That's sad. Now I'm embarrassed that I don't know that song. <laughs> but um, the film was directed by Michael. Schultz. I was correct. It is Rose Royce. Um, she was all right. Yeah, I was fine. I've seen her perform, like I said, a number of times, and she's a fantastic performer. I actually think she's more funny than engaging as a singer. Sure. Like I would never pay for her music, but I would pay to see her perform. Yeah. Because of the comedy part. Anyway, I will continue to watch the show um, because there are a lot of talented people and I want to see what the category, the themes are. Mm -hmm. And I do love seeing queer people. Of course. Um, on TV. So I, I will continue with this, uh, what is assured to be a dumpster fire. Uh, okay. <laughs> but the judging. Oh, yes. The judging. Go ahead. Let's read these bitches. No, I just, Trixie Mattel, oh my God, like seems to be gagged at everything. I, it it's just so annoying to watch the insincerity of it, and then them scrambling to say something nice when y'all know they don't want to say something nice, and and then not giving critiques at all, and then about the, like who cares how they look really? It would be like if we're like you and I are known for giving honest critiques about film, and then we get hired by like NBC Universal, and we start doing like video reviews, and then all of a sudden we're saying like the next Fast and Furious movie was a fun ride and unparalleled action sequence like mm -hmm. it's just so fake yes it's fake Trixie Mattel is known for being obnoxiously like pretentious and say, saying it how it is and and then you get on this show and you're just being nothing but like trying to find compliments right well and then it's like there's a weird competition between her and Michelle it feels like and then um, Leona Lewis who looks amazing is just I think trying to be nice nice sometimes constructive Vanessa L. Williams <laughs> well, she started out strong. The first two episodes, she was being very. She started out a little bit on this one too. Like, she's like I hate Abba. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, but then in moments where I thought she would eat someone alive, she's like, great, great, De great performance, Demir, great attitude. Yeah, and then some of the, you know, the other thing I don't like is when these contestants give a sob story before the judging, mm -hmm. and then the judges. Respond to that. Respond to that instead of critique what they were standing Gin there to Ginzilla's do. thing was all about that and not about his performance. Which was, yeah, I, I didn't love Which that. Which was subpar. 
We can move on. Uh, films released that were not covered. The Last Sun. Oh, yeah. Which I didn't even get... I wasn't uh, invited to review it, but uh, The Last Sun, Tim Sutton has a new movie uh, with... What's his name from Wings and Sideways? I'm trying to think. Uh, we just watched Sideways. Oh, Machine Gun Kelly's in it and Sam Worthington. Oh. And why can't I remember his... Oh, uh Thomas Jane. Okay. For some reason, I thought Thomas Hayden Church was in it. Never mind. Um, yes, which I would watch. Uh, I think Tim Sutton is interesting. We reviewed a film by him a couple months ago, Funny Face. Oh, I don't recall. You don't recall? You don't recall Funny Face no. with the mask? That kid that wears that weird mask around, uh, and it's about gentrification and Rhea Perlman and no. Are you sure I saw that? <laughs> yes, you did. We did a review? Yes, we did, sir. With the girl in the hijab. Oh, yes. And the rich guy who's trying to... Yes. 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 Uh, and they want to make like a baseball stadium or something yes. where his home is. I couldn't tell you what that movie's about. Oh, my God. Your memory. <laughs> um, I just remember thinking the man was good looking. That's it. Oh, and Johnny Lee Miller gives a very over-the-top performance. Anyway. Uh, yeah, The Last Son. But we did get to a lot this week. We, we released a lot of videos. Yeah, we did. Cha-ching. An extra $27 in my checking account, though. No. Let's do um, it again. Uh, so, movies you watch for fun. The Shape of Things to Come. Yeah, you watched this, too. I did? What's yeah, it was the Rift Tracks movie we watched. The Shape of Things to Come. Based on the H.G. Wells. Okay, so it's a 1979 film starring Jack Plants oh, and Carol it's like Lindley. A, yes, it's like a Star Trek kind of... Yeah, it's about colonies on the moon because Earth is uninhabitable. That's right. I don't and remember anything about that movie. <laughs> Jack Plants is trying to destroy them. It's one of those films that you really do need that that riff track. That treatment. <laughs> that treatment because it's terrible. Um, Jack Plants is giving it to you. He's he's acting though. Uh, and it's well, when that, you hire Jack Plants. Yeah, and it's know. it's nice to see uh, Carol Lindley there as well. But I think the best line came in from the riff tracks guys was. <laughs> Them saying something like, the state of H.G. Wells has sent you a cease and desist letter. Oh, no. <laughs> it's really dumb. Okay, there's something, A Place Called Dignity, Matthias Rojas Valencia. Oh, I put that on there. That's a director I wasn't familiar with. Uh, it's a Chilean film that uh, just played at the Tallinn Black Knights Film Festival, which of course occurs in Estonia. Um, I don't know that it won anything, but or it might have. That's why it was on my radar. Uh, but I got a screener for it from the publicist because I saw some stills that looked amazing. And I didn't realize it is about, um, I'm probably mispronouncing it, the Colonia Dignidad, um, which was a place in Chile, Chile uh, where a bunch of Nazis fled and created this like commune called... Mm. Colonia Dignidad, or aka the Bavaria Village, and a lot of uh, they created this little settlement community. It was called the German Miracle, and then they, of course, did as Nazis do, and uh, the, a lot of heinous, terrible things happened in this contained fortress. So it's a film about that. There was actually recently a film made with Emma Watson about it too, called Colonia, filmed in English, uh, that isn't very good. But again, the subject matter is, you know, it's hard not to uh, be kind of compelled at how this happened. Uh, but this film, A Place Called Dignity was fine. It's about a kid that gets a scholarship, a 12-year-old, and he's a singer, uh, and the 
the friendly man that is running this compound takes a liking to him, but until he falls out of favor, blah, blah, blah. There's another Mexican-Polish film I saw this year in Venice called Outside the Fence. A Hole Outside the Fence? I have to double-check that. Which is kind of basically doing the same thing in modern times, which I liked a little more. But they terrify the children in this with somebody performing as Krampus. And that, Krampus. that the costume they have on this person that's terrifying these children who start peeing when they see him is impressive. Speaking of Krampus, can I talk about really quickly Halloween horror? No. The like Halloween nights at Universal Studios. Which we haven't been to in many a year. And I don't need to go to again. That shit is so expensive and the lines are so long and the park is so damn big and it's cold outside. The only part I enjoyed was... I mean, the actual haunted houses are fun to walk through if you don't have to wait an hour and a half to get through them. And then they do like the haunted train ride. But it made me think my favorite house of the Halloween haunted houses we went to was the Krampus house. That was your favorite? I think so. Or maybe not. Because the design, I thought it was really underwhelming. Oh, you know what? You're right. It was underwhelming. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the highlight, again, of going to that thing is because everyone's focused on the haunted houses, the actual rides at Universal Studios are empty. So the best time to go to Universal Studios is that like two hour period when the park is still open, but the haunted houses are open because then you can ride all the rides because we rode Transformers, Simpsons. We didn't have to wait at all. Right. So um, I don't know that I'll ever go again. And even though it's post-Halloween, I would recommend Harbor Halloween. Har- Horror Nights. The, the Queen Mary had Halloween. The vibe there is much less. It's much better. It doesn't feel as commercial. It's easier. Yeah. Although I don't know if they had it I don't know either. Year. I went off on a tangent. For your birthday one year, I bought you a night at, on the Queen Mary. We stayed a night at the Queen Mary, which was interesting. Yeah, I would do that again, though. Uh, oh, the last movie you watched for fun was called Seven Beauties. Yeah, so in this will get into, I guess it will bleed into our, our our obituary section. Lena Wertmuller died, uh, who's, you know, a, in, an incredibly notable film director, uh, the least of which being the factoid about her being the very first woman nominated as Best Director at the Academy Awards. Okay. And that was for 1975's Seven Beauties. Uh, so I'm very familiar with her work, but I had never seen Seven Beauties. I've had it, I've owned the DVD, a DVD version for well over a decade, so I finally watched that this weekend. Um, and I have to say, I did really enjoy it. It isn't my favorite Wurt Mueller. That would have to be Love and Anarchy or... Um, Swept Away. The original Swept Away is so good. Uh, Swept Away. Diana Ross has a song called Swept Away. Well, and it was remade by Guy Ritchie and Madonna. That's right. Infamously. Uh, which I've never seen that version. Uh, I'll have to get you to watch. Anyway, you... Get me to watch. Okay. Oh, it's so good. Uh, she worked with a lot of the same people all the time, like including Mariangela Mulatto, and uh, her male muse Mulatto. was... Uh, well, it's M-E-L-A-T-O, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Mulatto. Uh, and Giancarlo Giannini, whose son stars in the remake of Seven Beauty, or uh, uh, Swept Away. Um, but Seven Beauties was really uh, kind of interesting and fascinating. And uh, Giannini, that was his only Oscar nod for acting as well. You know, incredibly notable performer. Uh, I did really like it. Do recommend it. Um, you are familiar with Wirt Mueller <laughs> kind of by proxy because, is, I think, is it Michael Schultz? remade her film The Seduction of Mimi as Which Way is Up in 1977 with Richard Pryor, which we watched several years ago and is actually a lot of fun. 
the I don't the remake recall. that you've seen with uh, is it Loretta? Uh, what's her name? Lynette Lynette McKee. Uh, well, if you want time to talk about your secret film, uh, we have like a minute. A minute. I mean, we need to wrap. Oh, up. okay. Keep going then. Okay, so projects of interest, Young Sinner. Yes, so Paul Verhoeven has announced a new project this week. He's reuniting with his uh, screenwriter, Edward Neumeyer, who wrote uh, RoboCop and Starship Troopers for him. Uh, it's supposedly a, a Washington, D.C. set thriller that'll be in the vein of Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct um, about a young staffer who is subjected to some kind of, I'm sure sexual indiscretion uh but of course i'm excited for that it just occurred to me that like this whole secret movie thing is not a secret because the title of every um podcast is the movie no no it's, <laughs> so, it's, so only... it's only secret to us <laughs> well yes <laughs> uh, but i think that's kind of funny because obviously we know what we're about to talk about well because but... of events this weekend the secret film that i wanted to show that you have no idea about is actually a very special treat uh, that we will have to kick ahead to another week because we did not have time. To well, you need to quick, you have 90 seconds to get through the obituary section. So who's Michael Nesmith? Uh, the monkeys singer. Oh, okay. Who died? Oh, you have nothing to say? Okay. I don't, I mean, I remember the monkeys, but, and then you just talked about Lena Wharton Mueller and then Anne Rice has passed. Yeah. I just learned that today. Uh, you know, who was a, a, uh, centrifugal force in my youth, uh, having read uh, Interview with the Vampire and being obsessed with those novels as a kid uh, in the film. Uh, her son is also a writer. You know, she had that Christian phase where she was writing all those Jesus Christ books, and then she kind of uh, distanced herself from that because of the church's views on homosexuality. Hmm. Uh, and her, her son is a phage. Yes. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, I had never, I've never read anything by her son, but yeah, uh, you know, she had her witch series, and yes, Anne Rice to me was an important uh, figure, and which you know, well, my condolences. Uh, so moving on to our film this week, the 1993 Disney film directed by Tim Burton. It's not directed by Tim Burton. It's not directed by Tim Burton. No, he produced it. Oh. <laughs> Oh boy, it is uh, directed by what Harry, do I know? Henry Selleck. Oh, okay. Well, uh, the... you're you're familiar with another Henry Selleck film, Coraline. Coraline? Have I seen that movie? It, I'm your other mother. Did I watch that with you? Yes, oh. in the theater. Coraline. I mean, I've I I know the line like I'm your other mother. Isn't that silly, isn't that or... Terry Hatcher? I have no idea. Oh girl, your memory. God. Okay, The Nightmare Before Christmas is the film we watched. Because mm -hmm, you'd never seen I'd it. Because I'd never seen it. It was a favorite of mine as a kid. Um, I, I can see why. I owned it on VHS. My parents were going through one of their, I think were Christian uh, phases, and uh, wouldn't allow me to have it, so I would watch it at uh, my grandmother's house. It is a little... I, I, I think it's a little dark for... 1993, like, uh, it's not rated G, right? It's rated PG. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a little dark. Um, like, well, like there are moments where I'm like, oh, like, you would let a little kid watch this? <laughs> well, but, you know, I was also reading Stephen King and V.C. Andrews at this age, so... We know. All right, so... Uh, well, I mean, I feel silly trying to tell the basic story, but I, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a fantasy movie stop-motion animation. Mm -hmm. It's like claymation, mm -hmm. right? Or stop-motion stop animation. Stop-motion. It's about this Halloween town and like the the like the main guy for Halloween town is Jack Skellington. Mm -hmm. And 
he is kind of over Halloween because it's like the same thing every damn year. Mm -hmm. So he kind of goes off to try to find meaning and purpose in his life. And he comes across this forest that has these trees. And each tree is like a different holiday. And he happens to walk into Christmas. Yes. No MLK tree. There was no MLK tree. (laughs) No, there was not. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. So, uh... (laughs) So... He um, he sees Christmas and how beautiful and bright and happy, joyous it is. So he comes back like inspired mm-hmm. and he researches Christmas and he can't quite understand like what makes Christmas Christmas. So he's like, well, I'm just going to do one up or I'm, I'm going to do them one better and I'm going to like be Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So he has Santa Claus or as he refers to Sandy Claus kidnapped and this fool goes out here trying to be... Um, Santa Claus g- delivering gifts, but it doesn't work. Well, because they're all like, because ghoul- it's like ghoulish gifts. Yeah, because he's yeah, he doesn't understand like these people don't want <laughs> your bats and snakes and shit. Um, uh, but then another part of the story is there's like a mad si- Doctor Fr- Frankenstein or Finkelstein. Mm-hmm. He's this mad scientist who looks like Anna Paquin, according to my sister. According to your sister, which I don't disagree. <laughs> Um, who has, he's like made this Frankenstein monster type girl named Sally Mm -hmm. and she's in love with Jack Skellington, but she also has a premonition that like him trying to be Santa Claus is going to backfire. And it does, um, Christmas town people shoot, uh, Jack out of the damn sky. But, um, he realizes that he gets like a second chance. I just forgot the ending. All I know is like he and uh, Sally fall in love. Mm-hmm. After he gets shot down, he Santa is well. Released. Santa is released and saves his and Christmas town. Saves saves Christmas town by delivering all the gifts. Oh, and then he satisfies Jack's wish by giving snow to Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. So he makes it like Christmas, mm-hmm. and then Sally and Jack can be together. At the end. Um, I think it's a very creative. It, story it, visually it has a certain magic to it and the it songs are impressive and i know i've seen people attend this is before covid like at the hollywood bowl you know how they'll do like live mm-hmm. orchestral vo- versions i've seen this one um i think the music's nice there are a couple songs that are i really liked when the kids the kid i used to fast forward the vhs to that song i with, think with, that with lock stock and barrel are singing yeah what are they singing um, like the, what they're gonna do to santa claus yeah lock thought, him up and put him in a box <laughs> yeah i thought that was probably my favorite part and then the the boogeyman o- oogie boogie was oogie good Bo- yeah. i also really like um jack's first song in christmas town oh the kids sing kidnap the sandy claus yeah i thought that was really cute i'll just go through my notes when I when you put the film on and then I see it's a Disney movie, I had no idea. I had no idea this was a Disney movie. <laughs> um, Sally, you know, she wants to get away from Dr. Finkelstein. So this bitch, like, stays drugging him. Like, she, we find out that she has drugged... We see that she has just drugged him. We see her drug him a second time. Mm-hmm. Then he says, like, you keep drugging me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last... Oh, and he's voiced by William Hickey, who is perfect for that. Um, and if you saw William Hickey, you would you would recognize him. Oh. Um, Pritzi's Honor. I mean, we have to watch that. On one. A um, scene that I thought was a little too dark for children is when Sally... Because she's clearly, like... I'm thinking if I were a kid, it's like, well, Sally's sad. She wants to get away. She wants to be with Jack. And then she gets locked in like the tower of this mm-hmm. castle or whatever. And this bitch jumps 
And sews herself back together. Yeah, she jumps. She jumps. We see her land. On, we don't see her impact, but then we see her on the ground, dismembered. Mm-hmm. And then she sews herself back together again. I thought that was a bit dark for children. I watched this as a child, though. Well, look at how you are now. Okay, um, but she's voiced by Catherine O'Hara. And um, my first... Who I was hard-pressed to... I knew it was Catherine O'Hara, but she did a good job of masking her voice. She also does the voice of one of the kids of oh. the Lock, Stock, and Barrel. I thought those damn boogie kids were so creepy. Like Bebe's kids. <laughs> they were like some, I mean, Bebe's kids are bad, but these were like some creepy ass, sadistic Bebe's um, kids. Paul Rubens was one of them. Uh, and somebody, is Danny Elfman the third one? Anyhow, uh, the very first girl that I dated when I was in seventh grade looked just like Sally. You know, Sally looks so damn sad. Yeah. She just looks so sad. <laughs> I mean, I'm a depressed person, but I was like, damn, bitch, cheer up. <laughs> the, the vibe of the film, you, you, I don't know. It's Jack is so dramatic. Oh, I love Jack. Oh, he's so dramatic. Oh, I, I thought that was funny. Chris Sarandon voices him. And he then is so damn dramatic. <laughs> Danny Elfman is the one singing. But you know what this movie made me feel like over... So overall, I would give this film like four out of five stars. I think it's excellent. Like for, you know, as a take on... Well, Especially from 1993 to have this be like someone's take, Disney's take, or that they allowed to be released by Disney Mm -hmm. um, on the holiday season, I think seems pretty bold. I agree. Um, You know, Selnick would go on he did James and the Giant Peach uh, which was animated which I remember being quite good too and then I think he got um, hemmed up with the reception of Monkey Bone his live action hybrid film with uh, Brendan Fraser and Bridget Fonda which I I remember being a big flop that I never saw and then he didn't uh, do another narrative feature until Coraline I didn't realize Tim Burton was a Disney animator yeah I would, I would like to you, read more about it. You him. can see, t- I mean, despite his name on the title, you can see Burton's influence all over this with um, the animation and some of the characters with uh, the Bone Daddy musician, a lot like uh, Beetlejuice, Batman, the Batman theme, you can he- almost hear in there as well. After watching this film, it made me think, like, just how ridiculous holidays are. Yes. Like, it just is such a stressful... I always think about people who don't, you know, the the holidays can be really triggering for a lot of people. Like if you don't have family, loved ones, Valentine's Day, if you if you don't have a significant other, you're reminded of it. If you do, you feel pressure to execute some act of, you know, love. And it and then when I think about Christmas, it's just like putting ourselves, I mean, not me, but you know, putting pe- people put themselves into debt. Mhm. Trying to like well, execute some fantasy over something that is like you don't do. Do you even believe in this shit? Like, well, well and how obsessive people are over these traditions as well. Because it's like as soon you know the film opens with them doing their Halloween song, which they prepped for all year for for this grand tradition, this performance, and then immediately the next day they have to start planning it again. Which reminds me of how the Oscars feel and how everybody's trying to guess who's going to be nominated as soon as the Oscars just happen. Like, can we get a minute? Can we shut the fuck up about it? Well, even um, in our neighborhood. It's like we have so many fucking trashy ass people who live here. And I'm saying that for a host of reasons, but also like these people look bad. They don't keep their houses up. They dress like shit, whatever. And then all, m- m- many of these homes have hollow or Christmas decorations. And I just find it funny. Like, this is what, important. What does this even mean to you? Like, because I mean, isn't it about the birth of Jesus? Like, well, yeah. <laughs> several of our neighbors have full, like, life size manger or nativity yes. scenes. Mm-hmm. 
I just think that's so weird. I'm like, giving back. Or then, like, what? Fourth of July. You know, there are a lot of, like, uh, Latino people in our neighborhood. And I just think it's funny. Like, as a person of color, I'm not out here shooting fireworks celebrating, like, this nation right now. I just think it's funny yes. how people just get... What, whatever, whatever. So, but my, my notes about uh, rewatching because I haven't watched this in 20-odd years... Uh, you know, it's got some interesting things to say about creative stagnation. Uh, you, I can see Lewis Carroll uh, inspiration in here. Um, and the kind of power and being curious about other people and other cultures to a degree, because then all of a sudden this film feels like it's a, a metaphor for colonization. Um, like, I'm just going to come in here and I'm going to steal your shit. <laughs> And then I'm going to come put my stamp on it, is what it, what it feels like. Well, Jack is interesting because I think his intentions, he's selfish. Like, he's trying to... It's for himself. It's for yeah. himself, but he doesn't seem like a monster. But then, yeah, it's just like, well, oh, so you're just going to steal... You know how the road to hell's paved, right? Yeah, you're just going to steal Santa Claus because you want to understand and feel something. It's like, yeah, it, it does feel very selfish, but it's a lesson, right? Yes. So, um yeah, I... I mean, it, I think it's 77 minutes. It, it breezes right by, but it, it, I feel like it could have uh, needed some... It could have used some more powerful subtext here and there, but... Sure, sure. Um, I don't have anything else to say. We have to wrap up soon. Um, I just had a quote from Anne Rice, who left us... Was it yesterday or today? Um, just something that I liked. Uh, well, to, read it. To write something, you have to risk making a fool of yourself. And don't we all know that? We do. So for this coming week, I'm excited to see Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Because I really like Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> Isn't that the name of the new one? No, I think it's called The Way Home. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. that we'll hopefully see tomorrow. Um, We're seeing that tomorrow. Um, as a reminder, Nightmare Alley is opening this week, which we saw a bit ago already. And we I reviewed uh, fucking love um also hoping to get you to see the lost daughter which i think is fantastic what um, is that the lost daughter yes i've talked about it several times already and I read the book by elena ferrante uh starring olivia coleman uh mm. a woman while on a summer holiday finds herself becoming obsessed with another woman and her daughter prompting memories of her own early motherhood to come back and unravel her I think you would re this character would resonate with you. Oh, she's miserable. Mm -hmm. Well, so you'll see that. Uh, also, the Tender Bar from George Clooney, which is recommendable. You, I watched Swan Song, but you passed on it for good reason, apparently. <laughs> I think so. With Mahershala Ali and maybe Mother Android with Crowy Grace Moretz. Oh, Crowy. <laughs> Crowy. Anything else? No. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.